Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in today to the JTP Church Podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message. If you want to share with us what God is doing in your life, you can write us at hello at jtp.church. If you would like to partner with us and make a financial gift to our ministry, you can visit us at www.jtp.church to make a donation. Now sit back and enjoy the message. One more Sunday night. We got to be here. We're closing up the year in just a few months. This year has come and gone, right? And we thank God for his faithfulness to this day. Amen? You guys are really quiet today. Really quiet. Did you guys eat today? Yeah? Had a good lunch? Raise your hand if you had a good lunch. Raise your hand if you're, you're ashamed of the lunch you had. Raise your hand. Anybody? No? All right. Maybe you had too good of a lunch. That's why you guys aren't speaking. All right. I want to talk to you a little bit about a story in the Bible. The past few weeks, we've been talking about these amazing men of God. How many remember last week? We talked about giving. But the week before, we talked about Beniah. You guys remember? This guy that killed a lion, where? In a pit, all right? And it was, it was snowing, and he went inside the pit, and with his bare hands or with whatever weapon he had, he killed a lion. Talked a little bit about David and Goliath, how this guy killed a giant that was nine feet, six inches, huge guy. You thought Hassan Whiteside was big. I mean, this guy was nine, six, and he was built. He was huge, and he went, he beat him, he defeated him. He was only a little guy. He cut his head off. And sometimes we read all these things about these great men of God and we feel so little next to them, right? What could God do through me? Little old me. Could God ever use me to do something so valiant as to that or something supernatural? And sometimes we doubt our ability. But we should never do that because it wasn't in their own power that they did that. It was through God. I was reading the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. We call that, as you guys know, the Hall of Faith. We have Cooperstown. Cooperstown is the Baseball Hall of Fame. We have the Bible Hall of Fame, and it's Hebrews chapter 11. All the big people who did incredible things, like the ones we just mentioned. David is there. A bunch of people are there. And I was reading a little bit about the starting lineup of everybody that was there. And in between all these great people, there was a guy that we don't know that much about. At least I didn't know much about, and his name was Barack. Not the president. And I'm like, you know what, let me do a little bit of research. I want to read a little bit about who this guy Barack is and why is he in the midst of all these people. So today we're going to talk about the adventures of Barack. You guys ready to get to know this guy a little bit more? We're going to get to know to see what he did to be able to earn his way into this very exclusive list that we call the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Judges chapter 4. And while you look for it, let me just talk to you a little bit about the book of Judges. You see, before Israel had any kings, they had judges. God would speak to these judges, and these judges were execute God's plan, and they ruled over the people. Now, they weren't kings, but they were the people that God chose to lead Israel during that period of time that they were called. After the judges, God anointed kings, and the way things work is that God would speak to prophets. Everybody say prophets. We had back then prophet Samuel, right? prophet Nathan, different prophets. Now the prophets were greater than the kings. So the prophets were here from God. They would call and talk to the king. And if the king was fearful of God, they would execute what the prophet told them, knowing that it came straight from God. Right here in the book of Judges, where we're going to read today, this was pre-kings. God started lifting up judges. The second judge of Israel, his name was Aod. Everybody say Aod. 
And he also had a second name that he was known for, and it was Ehud. I mean, these names are very weird. I know you're not familiar with them, but bear with me. Check out what happens. At the end of Judges chapter 3, I'm just going to give you a brief review. God gives Israel this huge victory, okay? And Israel enters into an 80-year period of peace. Everybody say peace. Okay, there was a lot of stuff going on. They had all these enemies that wanted to fight them and stuff. And God uses this guy, the second judge of Israel, Ehud, also known as what? Ehud. All right, you guys are with me here. To bring back to Israel a huge victory. And after this victory, they had 80 years of peace where their enemies did not come into their territory. They were just enjoying themselves. Here we go in Judges chapter 4. That's where the story begins. Are you guys with me? All right. It says, when Ehud was dead, the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera. You guys should remember those two names because they're going to be key all throughout tonight. The king's name was what? Jabin. Jabin, if that's how you want to call him. And the commander was who? Sisera, who dwelt in Harasheth, Hagoyim. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, for Jabin had 900 chariots of iron. And for 20 years, you see, that doesn't impress you too much, but back then that was a big deal. Back then they didn't have F-15s, they didn't have any tanks. So this guy had chariots of iron. This was a big deal back then. And for 20 years he had harshly oppressed the children of Israel. You know, sometimes it happens that when we got provision, when we feel like we got everything under control, that we don't need God. I don't know why that happens to us. But when everything goes our way, we feel like, oh, you know, I don't need to keep going to church. I mean, I don't need to continue tithing. I don't need to continue doing this. We get comfortable. And then because we fall away from God, we fall into oppression. So that's exactly what happened. 80 years of peace. Got them thinking they could do life on their own. The Bible says that God sold them into the hand of Jabin, the king of Canaan. So they became oppressed now for 20 years. And then it says, now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Laphidoth, was judging Israel at the time. If you guys read the book of Judges, which I recommend you do, you know, there's a lot of interesting characters there. You guys are going to see that there's a pattern that happens in the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, not just the book of Judges, but if you look at the entire history of the people of Israel, you're going to see a pattern. The pattern goes a little bit like this. God oppresses the people to get their attention because they turned away from God. So when they feel oppression, number two, the people repent of their ways and they turn back to God. Number three, as a consequence, then God sends a deliverer to set them free. And number four, once free, now the people stray from God's ways again. So you guys are going to see that pattern repeated over and over and over and over again throughout the entire Old Testament. You see it with Moses in the wilderness. You see it in the book of Judges. You see it even when the kings come, David, Solomon, and then Solomon's son. And, you know, they turn back to God. God delivers them. Then they get all comfortable because there's a period of peace. I don't think I need God. And the same thing happens over and over and over. Maybe your life is a little bit like what these people were going through. Maybe that cycle is familiar in your life because you come to God when you feel oppressed and when you feel that you got a lot of problems. But once things start going right, then you feel that, oh, you know what? 
I don't think I need to come every Sunday. Maybe once a month is fine. I don't need to give my tithe. I don't think it's important that I start my HOB. Maybe I should come to church, but get involved. I mean, come on, that's a little too much. We start straying. We start straying, and we don't realize that until something bad happens, and then we're like, we come running back to God. Wouldn't it be better if we're constant and faithful and giving God our best 24-7 every single day, whether we're up, whether we're down, right? If you're able to do that, if you're able to live a faithful life in every single area of your life, in your finances, in your commitment with God, in your service with God, then God will always have you stable. Doesn't guarantee that you're never going to have problems, but God's going to be with you. God's going to be showing his hand strong over your life, his protection, his provision. How many say amen? Can we praise God for that? If we do this, we know that God will do his part. Unfortunately, the people of Israel, they were hard-headed. You know, they weren't from JTP Church because they would be, you know, they, they know better. But these people were really hard-headed, so they ended up wasting their lives going around in circles and never getting to the destiny that God had prepared for them. And the last thing you want to do is do the same thing. You know, God has a bright destiny, a bright future for every single one of whether you see it now or whether you don't. Whether it seems far-fetched or not, God has an amazing plan, but if you spend your whole life just going around in circles in the wilderness, you'll never get to the promised land. Israel turned their backs to God, and as a result, the Bible says that they were enslaved by a king called what? Jabin. You guys like Jabin more than Jabin? You like Jabin? It has more finesse, right? More of a ring to it. And his general was called what? Sisera. Okay, go with me to the book of Judges. Now we're going to read chapter 5. And I want to give you guys a Snapchat. Not a Snapchat. A snapshot. <laughs> I want to give you guys a snapshot of what Israel was back in the days when they started crying out to God because they were oppressed. And it says in the book of Judges 5, verse 6, in the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were deserted, and the travelers walked along the byways. Village life ceased. It ceased in Israel until I, Deborah, arose. Arose a mother in Israel. They chose new gods. Then there was a war in the gates, and not a shield or a spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. Pay attention to what's going on here. I mean, the situation it's pretty drastic. It reminds me a little bit of Nehemiah. You guys remember Nehemiah when he went to rebuild the walls and it was chaos? Israel's situation seemed humanly impossible to change. How many can agree to that with everything we just finished reading? It seemed impossible. Maybe you're at a crossroad right now where you feel that your situation or what God promised you or what you're striving for or what you're working for is humanly impossible to be able to get to. So you can relate to what's going on here. They were enslaved. It said that the highways were deserted. Village life ceased. The roads were empty. It was like a ghost town. On top of that, they chose new gods. They were worshiping other gods. That wasn't the God of Israel. There was a war in the gates. So there was people fighting at the entrance of the city. And 40,000 Jews, 40,000 Israelites, and none of them had a spear. None of them had a weapon. Because, you know, you'd say if they have an army, then maybe they could cause an uproar. You know, they could go against this king of Jabin and against Sisera, and they could defeat him. But they didn't even have weapons. I mean, it was a difficult situation. But then, everybody say, but then. I love this part because 
Everybody was waiting for somebody to stand up. And you know what? It wasn't a guy that stood up. The Bible says that a woman by the name of Deborah arose. Everybody say arose. Now, sometimes we read the Bible too fast and we don't catch little things like this. But it doesn't say that God lifted her up. It doesn't say that she heard an angel calling her in the middle of the night and saying, Deborah, you're the next judge of Israel. And she's like, oh, Lord, okay, I'm going to do it. The Bible says that she was fed up and she just arose. I'd love to see if there's any Deborahs in this place here. Do we have any Deborahs here in JTP Church? I love it because she saw a situation and, and she, probably, she probably grew impatient knowing that nobody was doing anything about it. There were no guys standing up and going against these people. I mean, they were just going with the flow until she said, I'm going to do something about it. And she stood up and she arose as a mother in Israel. She had to be from JTP Church, right? I mean, this Deborah had to have that same spirit that the women in here have. So, guys, let me talk to the ladies here for just a second, all right? I want to minister. I'll get to the guys later on. But ladies, women, young women, grandmas maybe in this place, your family is waiting for you to arise. Yeah, your family is waiting for somebody. And, you know, sometimes we're waiting for somebody else to do it. And we don't realize that we're the one that God called to arise and start interceding for your family, for all the stuff that's going on in and around you. Sometimes God is waiting for you, young lady, to arise in your school and for you to be the solution that God wants to bring to that generation. Maybe God is waiting for you to stand up in your city, for you to bring solutions to the city where you are, to the neighborhood where you live in, to the workplace where you work at. And this woman saw that nobody was standing up and she said, I have to do something. I just love people that they take initiative. You know, sometimes you don't even know what's going to happen. But when you're in the right place at the right time and you know that it was God that called you, you have that boldness to be able to stand up and say, I'm going to do something about it. And you know, that's all God is looking for to be able to give you his resources, give you his power, give you everything that you need to be able to accomplish what you need to do. How many say amen to that? Come on, where are the Deborahs in this house? Make some noise. God is waiting for you to get fed up with all the negativity that surrounds you in home, in school, in work, wherever, and to stand up in the name of Jesus. 20 years oppressing Israel with cruelty and injustice till this lady had enough. She says, I'm going to stand up. And she arose as a mother to Israel. I'm going to ask you today, before we get to the next section, I want to ask you, when are you going to get fed up with all the oppression the devil has surrounded you with? And this is not just for the ladies. This is for the guys as well. Every single person in this place. When are you going to get fed up with all the oppression, all the stuff that's negative in your life, and you're going to stand up and say, I'm not going to accept this in my life. I'm going to do something about it. So here's where the story just blows my mind. Deborah is a woman of faith. How many say amen? It took faith for her to be able to stand up when everybody was sitting down and afraid and say, I'm going to do this. Especially in a society where they didn't even count women. You guys, when you read the Gospels, much later than this, this was a lot before Jesus' time. But even in the times of Jesus, fast forward 2,000 years or, or 1,000 years, Jesus, in his time, when he multiplied the breads, the loaves of breads and the fish, they fed 5,000 men without counting what? Women and what? So it was a society where women did not have such a high place. They weren't seen as men were. But all of a sudden, this woman, she said, well, if men are not going to stand up, I'm going to stand up. She had kind of like that Latin attitude, right? Like saying, I'm not going to let this happen. I'm going to do something about it. 
So she was a woman of faith. She stood up when no other woman or other men got up. Here's the interesting part about this. You don't find Deborah's name in Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith. Because you figured this woman, what she did was incredible. She was the one person in the entire generation that stood up. I mean, that's worthy of applauding. You'd figure she'd be there in the top lines of Hebrews chapter 11. But as a matter of fact, she doesn't even come out in the entire New Testament. Outside the book of Judges, you don't see the name of Deborah anymore. So now, here comes Barak. You're probably thinking, you know, the adventures of Barak. We haven't even spoken about this guy. Okay, here he comes. Judges chapter 4, verse 6 through 9. Then she sent and called for Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh and Naphtali. I don't know why they have to put all the names where these people are from. And said to him, has not the Lord God of Israel commanded, go and deploy troops at Mount Tabor? Take with you 10,000 men of the sons of Naphtali and the sons of Zebulun. And against you I will deploy Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army and his chariots and his multitude at the river Kishon. And I will deliver him into your hand. And Barak said to her, if you will go with me, then I'll go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. So she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, there will be no glory for you in the journey you are taking. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. When I started reading this for the first time, the first thing that came to my mind is like, what kind of a guy is this guy Barak that he says that he won't go to battle unless Deborah goes with him? I'm like, come on, man. Aren't you a man of God? Didn't God call you to do this and you need to take somebody with you? Can't you just man up and go yourself? Did you guys read it that way or no? Was that just me? I'm like, he said, well, I can't go to the battle. Unless you go, it's like, mommy, take my hand and we'll go together to the battle because I'm afraid. That's how I saw it. It's like this guy needed this woman to go with him. But then I remembered that also in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, in the hall of faith, there were people like Moses. And you guys know that when God called Moses, he wasn't like saying, oh God, I was waiting for you to call me. And he thought that he couldn't execute the calling. Moses, go up to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. God, yeah, but what am I going to tell them? How, how are they going to listen to me? I can't even speak right. How about Gideon? God came to Gideon and Gideon says, when God called him, you're a strong man and I'm calling you for this specific task. You're going to run away all the Midianites that are coming against you. So stand up. And he was like, are you talking to me? Don't you realize that I come from the smallest family of Israel and from the smallest family, I am the smallest one of the smallest family and you're calling me to do this? So I saw that there was a tendency of many people in Hebrews 11 that thought they couldn't execute what God called them to do. Have you ever felt that you were inadequate with the calling that God gave you? Yeah? Don't, don't worry. If you haven't felt, it's because maybe you still haven't heard what God wants to do through you. But the minute that God reveals to you his plans, if it's God's plan, trust me, you're going to feel like saying, what, God, you must be crazy. Because that's how Moses felt. That's how Samson felt. That's how David felt. That's how every single one of these felt. Why? Because sometimes God wants you to do things and to rely on him and to trust in him so you could see his power at work, not your strength. And that way God gives the glory. Because if you do it in your own strength, then who gets the glory? Moi. 
But God wants to get the glory. So here comes Barack, and I started thinking, this guy is such a sissy. I mean, this guy, he's, he needs to take Deborah, a woman, to battle with him, along with the 10,000 men. Come on, man up and do what God called you to do. So fast forward a little bit, Barack and Deborah and the 10,000 men that God spoke to, they went up. The mount was called Tabor. And some gossiper was there. They saw the 10,000 people go up to the mountain, and they're like, hmm, this is suspicious. So they went and they told the evil general. What was his name? Sisera. Okay, you guys are there with me. Sisera was the general. So they went and they started telling him, hey, you know, we saw Deborah, this lady that she stood up out of nowhere. I guess she's leading the people, and she has another guy called Barak. And now they got 10,000 people, and they went up to the mount. I guess they want to get it on. So the Bible says... In verse 14, I'm in chapter 4 of Judges. Then Deborah said to Barak, up. Everybody say up. Tell the person next to you, up. For this is the day in which the Lord has delivered Sisera into your hand. Told him, let's go. This is it. You know, I think that today God's telling some of you guys up. I think that this is your up day. This is the day that God's telling you, hey, come on, let's go. Snap out of it. This is the day. This is what you've been waiting for. 20 years of oppression. I don't know how long your situation has you oppressed. But this is the day that God's telling you, up, let's go. It's time to get it on. It's time to fight. Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has delivered Sisera into your hand. Has not the Lord gone out before you? So then I realized, I go, maybe this guy wasn't such a sissy. Maybe really what he didn't want to do is go without the presence of God. And Deborah, she wasn't only a judge, she was a prophet. So he knew that if he took Deborah, it was like taking the presence of God. Because God spoke to this woman, and this woman could tell him direction, specific direction. And here we see evidence of that happening. She's telling him, okay, now's the time. Arise, let's go, because now God has gone before you, and this is the day that God has delivered Sisera into your hands. So he was obedient. Everybody say, Barak was obedient. So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And I want to ask you today the same thing that she asked Barak. Has not the Lord gone out before you? You know, sometimes we just need that word to know that God is for us. We know the Bible, and we know that God fights for us, and sometimes we know all these promises. Sometimes there's a specific moment in time where we need people to tell us, hey, Go because God's going to be with you. And you just feel that, wow, I have that backing. It gives you like this bravery to be able to do things. And I think that God is speaking specifically to people today. That probably there were things holding you back. Most of the time it's fear. Maybe it's yourself. Maybe it's doubts. And you know what you got to do. And you know what you got to go up against. And sometimes it's, it's too difficult. And you feel you're not going to be able to. But God's telling you today has not the Lord gone before you. It's so easy to go to battle when God is in front of you beating everybody up. You just, hey, what's up? And, and God's just beating everybody up. It's just so much easy and it gives you so much peace knowing that God's going before you. Well, I'm here to tell you, God's going before you. Has not God said that he's going to go before you? That he's fighting your enemies? That he's giving you victory? Come on, can anybody receive that word? Can anybody say, I'm going to start this Monday morning, tomorrow? Going to work, going to school, going to practice, wherever you go, knowing that God is going before me. And my victory has already been sealed and gift wrapped. Come on, give God praise in this house. <clears throat> well, now maybe you can 
you can feel how Barack was feeling, right? He was feeling confident. My God, this woman of God that she hears from God said that God's already going before me. So all I got to do is go up and take the victory. Verse 15 says, and the Lord routed Sisera. Everybody say routed. I mean, he wiped them out, right? And all his chariots and all his army with the edge of the sword before Barak, right in his face. And Sisera alighted from his chariot. He took off and he fled away on foot. But Barak pursued the chariots and the army as far as Harasheth Hagoyim. And all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Everybody say they were wiped out. Not a man left. However, Sisera had fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the house of Heber, the Kenite. Picture this. The Bible says, if you read chapter 5 of Judges, this is like the song after the victory that both Deborah and Barak wrote. They sat down and, you know, aside from being warriors, I guess they were songwriters as well. They wrote a song about everything that was going on. And if you read the song, you're going to see certain things that mentions the fact that it started raining. Water fell from heaven. Their chariots, God sent rain. And what was just a little stream turned into this huge river. They collapsed and then they had to get out of the chariots And that's when the people of Israel, mano a mano, as they say, whooped them. That's how they got the victory. How many say amen to that? Whatever had you worried, whatever had you anxious, whatever was following you, tonight will fall by the edge of God's sword. Your enemies will flee. How many are believing that? Whatever threatened you will have to turn around and go back from where it came from. What appeared to be strong and impossible to overcome, God will minimize it and destroy it in your favor. Continuing the story, we're finishing up here. Verse 18 now, I'm still in Judges 4. There's another name that's going to come now, and it's the name of Jael. Everybody say Jael. It's a woman. It says, Jael went out to meet Sisera. So this guy Sisera, once he saw that his army was all killed and slaughtered, he took off running, and he went to a tent of a lady that knew the king because he knew that there was going to be peace there. And he saw her and she goes, oh my gosh, I've seen you in the palace. I've seen you talking to the king. Please help me. If somebody comes here, tell them that there's nobody here because there's somebody looking to kill me. So look what happened. Look what went down. Jael went out to meet Sisera and she said to him, turn aside, my Lord, turn aside to me. Do not fear. And when he had turned aside with her into the tent, she covered him with a blanket. And then he said to her, please give me a little bit of water to drink for I am thirsty. So she opened a jug of milk gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, stand at the door of the tent. And if any man comes and asks about me, is there any man here? You're going to say no. And Jael, Heber's wife, took a tent peg and took a hammer in the hand and went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple and it went down into the ground. You guys catch that? So this lady's like, hey, yeah, come over here. I'll take you into my tent. Come, 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 look. She gave him a blanket. The guy asked for water. She gave him milk. She seemed hospitable that she was going to protect this guy. But then when she turned away, she grabbed a peg. Have you guys seen those tents where they sell the Christmas trees? You guys know what holds up those tents? They have these rope, right? And then they put a stake into it, and they peg the stake into the ground. Well, she pulled one of those metal stakes. She came 
over where this guy was. The Bible says that he was laying down like this. He fell fast asleep because he was tired from the war. And she says she grabbed the stake, put it on his temple, and just hammered it right through his temple and stuck him into the ground. I'm like, this should be the story. I mean, it should be Deborah and Jael in Hebrews chapter 11. Am I right or no? I mean, this lady was crazy. Then Jael, Hebrews' wife, took a tent peg and took a hammer in the hand and went softly to him and drove the peg into the temple and it went down into the ground for he was fast asleep and weary so he died and then as Barak pursued Sisera jail came out to meet him and said to him come I will show you the man who you're looking for and when he went into her tent there lay Sisera dead with the peg in his temple so on that day God subdued Jabin king of Canaan, in the presence of the children of Israel. And the hand of the children of Israel grew stronger and stronger against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they had destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. How many of you guys get encouraged just of reading the story about what these two women did? Raise your hand. Right? I mean, it gives you courage to be able to go against whatever's coming your way. These women had the courage to stand up when everybody was against them, when there was hopelessness all over the place. Jail, this, this girl just drove that peg right into the guy's temple. You could even write a story about this, write a movie about this. Something's missing here, though. Because this sermon is about what? Or who? It's about Barack. So my question, after I finished reading this entire story, is like, what in the world did Barak do to end up in Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith? Who heard the voice of God and stood up? Deborah. Who ended up killing Sisera, the general? Neither of these women are in Hebrews chapter 11. So how in the world did this guy, what did he do to stand up and be included with these incredible great men of God like David Gideon, etc. And this is what I got out of it. You see, many of us suffer from what we call the Hollywood effect. I call this the Hollywood effect. We hear about Samson killing a thousand people just with a bone, and we're like, whoa, yeah, that was amazing. I want to be like Samson. We hear about David killing a lion and killing a bear with his own hands and then slaughtering this huge giant. We're like, yeah. Moses lifted his rod and the ocean split in two. Wow, amazing. They've made movies out of all these single things. But, you know, I'll go on the record here and I'll say they'll probably never make a movie of Barack. And if they do, the main characters won't be Barack. They would be who? Deborah and Jael. Because they were the one who just did all the work, who stood up in the midst of adversity, who finally defeated the evil general. So here, there's nothing supernatural, nothing Hollywoodish about this man known as Barak. So pay attention for me. I'm finishing up here. If you guys could help me out. Barak is counted in the hall of faith simply because he was present. Everybody say because he was present. You know, sometimes we think that for God to be able to use us, we got to do something like what Samson did. But sometimes... God is not going to require you to do something supernatural because God's going to do the supernatural event. You see, all Barak did was obey when God told him to go to war. He even thought 
He wouldn't be able to do it without Deborah going with him. He said, my, my gosh, you want me to do this? Are you serious? I mean, I don't think I have what it takes. Little old me, how am I going to be able to go against all these people? None of our men even have spears. They don't have anything. They have no weapons. And you want us to go against this king that has 900 chariots of iron? Are you serious, God? Uh, but you know what? I'm going to trust you. And if you say that if I go, you're going to give us the victory, I'm going to be present and I'm going to obey. So even with fear, he comes and he tells Deborah, Deborah, you know, I won't go unless you go. If you go with me, then we both go. Either we both die or we both see the glory of God. But because God said that he's going to give us the victory, let's believe. And he went and he was present. You read the story of Barak. Barak did not rise up. He wasn't a judge. Barak did not kill Sisera. Barak didn't even kill anybody in the army because the army killed all the people. And he was just running after Sisera. But what he did was he was present when God needed him and when God called him. You know, sometimes we see... We see so many things in the Bible and, and we hear about stories like this. But it's interesting that about Barak, the only thing we know about his life is this instant, is this war, it's this calling, and it only lasted one day. You know, we don't know what happened with Barak after, we don't know what happened with Barak, but there always comes a time in our lives when God is calling us for something specific. And when that time comes, man, you got to be ready to say, here I am, I'm willing. He could have said, I am out of here. I'm not the man. You know, if God called you a prophet, you go and you take the man, but I'm out. This is going to be a slaughter. But you know what? Even though he didn't think he had it in him, he trusted God. You know, some, sometimes God calls us for great things and God has great plans for our lives. But sometimes it's you and I that get in the middle of God's plans because they're just too big to be able to believe. And sometimes we think, nah, 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 God. God can't use me to do that. Now start my, start my own HOB, me teaching the word of God. How am I able to, I, I can't even speak. All right, Moses, <laughs> just trust God. Oh, but, but I mean, what am I going to say? I mean, it's, you know, sometimes to be in Hebrews chapter 11, to answer God's call, all you have to be is present. Everybody say present. And that's exactly what Barak this Man, I love it because there's so many men of God like Abraham, and Moses, and Gideon, and Samson, and David. And all of a sudden, in between this huge lineup, in the middle of all these people, we have little old Barak, who didn't kill anybody, who didn't stand up, who was fearful. But when God told him, I need you, and this is your role, and you're just going to stand up, and you're going to go with the prophet, and you're going to take 10,000 men, and the rest... I'm going to do. And you, you see, sometimes we think that God can use us because we think that we're the ones that are going to have to do everything that all these people in Hebrews 11 did. And, and sometimes God just wants you to be present. The Bible says, be still and know I'm God. Sometimes it's just a matter of trusting God and saying, I'm going to step out in faith and I'm going to speak to that person about Jesus. You're already worrying about how that person's going to reject you. And you don't know what's going on in that person's life. You don't know if they've been crying for five days asking for God to send somebody because they're about to kill themselves and commit suicide. And you're struggling and you're thinking ahead. Oh, that person's uh, too popular. That person's never going to open their hearts. He's probably going to laugh at me. And God sometimes just wants you to be present 
and say, God, here I am. Use me. What do you want me to do today, God? Tomorrow, Monday morning, first thing we should do after we wake up, you know, clean your eye boogers, brush your teeth, go up to God and say, God, what would you have me do in this day? And you know, this was at such a great scale because the only thing we know about Barak is about this huge victory, right? It was a huge victory that God gave him. But you know, every single day, there's things that God wants to prepare you for and God wants to speak to you. And it's all going to lead up to that one thing that God purposed your life for. You see, Barak's purpose in life, what, what, what God had prepared for him, I don't know how long he lived. I don't know how many other things he did. If he had a family, it was good. The Bible doesn't say much about him. But it says that when God needed him here to do something that was going to bring a huge revival in Israel and deliver him from 20 years of oppression, this guy said, here I am. I guarantee you that he worked up to get to that part. He worked up to get to that level. Maybe he started doing smaller things and maybe he served in his church and maybe, you know, his pastor needed him to be faithful and he was always faithful here in the little, faithful here in the little, present here in the little. Maybe nothing flashy, nothing Hollywoodish, like we said, right? Nothing out of the norm, but he was there. He could be counted on. He could be counted on. He was faithful. He was there. He was present. And then when the time came that God said, look, this is why I created you because you're going to help deliver these people or Israel from the oppressor. I want to minister to people here because I believe that God has a plan for your life. And sometimes, you know, we think that God wants to do these supernatural things. You know what? Let God do his part and you just do your part. Just be present when God calls you. Just say, Lord, here I am. Can we stand on our feet today? Sometimes we minimize how important it is just to be present. Nothing supernatural, nothing Hollywoodish in this man known as Barak. He simply obeyed and was present when God needed him. Nothing flashy, nothing worth writing a script for the silver screen. You'll never see a movie about Barak. And if you do, I guess all you'll see is him running and not doing anything, right? Just true obedience and a willingness to obey and answer God's call. And you know what that does? It gives us all hope. Sometimes we put so much pressure in us and saying, wow, and, and we minimize what we're doing right now. We say, wow, I never did anything supernatural. Hey, if God has entrusted you in HOB and you have somebody that you're pouring your life into there and you're ministering to that person and you're discipling them, you're already doing some, a huge bit. You're building somebody up. You're pouring into that person's life. You're, 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 you're building up a disciple of Christ. And God is doing his supernatural work in their lives. Don't minimize what you do for God. And I want to finish up reading Hebrews 11, where I first found this Barak guy. And it says, And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon. You guys know what Gideon did, right? And Barak, and Samson, and Jephthah, also of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms. Yeah, there were some of them that they subdued kingdoms. Some of them worked righteousness. Some of them obtained promises through faith. Some of them stopped mouths of lions. Wow, incredible. Some of them quenched the violence of fire, escaped the, the edge of the sword. But others, out of weakness, were made strong. I think that's where 
Barack falls into. Out of weakness, God, really? Deborah, uh, I don't know. I mean, I'll go. I've always been obedient to God. And if this is what God wants me to do, I'll go. But not alone. You come with me. If we die, we both die together. If we win, we both celebrate together. But regardless of my fear, regardless of everything that's going on around me, I'm going to step out in faith and be present. And out of weakness, we're made strong. Others became valiant in battle. Turned the flight of armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again. Others were tortured. We don't like that. We don't want to be part of that category, right? But there were a lot of people that were tortured through faith because they knew that what God was going to give them as a gain in the hereafter was going to be so much more. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two for the glory of God. Others were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. You see, I don't know what your faith and your purpose and your calling is. But what I do know is that the way to get to accomplish your calling, to accomplish your purpose, and to see God's glory in your life, and to see everywhere around you, everything that surrounds you, starting with your, your next of kin, your your brothers, your sisters, your family, with the people that know you in school, the way that they can see the glory of God is when you say, God, I'm present. I'm willing. And it may seem very simple, but sometimes that's so hard to do because we want to be present to our needs and we want to be present to our desires and to take your desires and your plans and to say, God, your plans first. Ask yourself this before I do the calling. I wonder, I wonder if Barak had his own plans when God called him. Because we don't read this in the Bible. If, if we were to read that about everybody that God called, the Bible would probably be 10 times bigger. And then people really wouldn't read it. But every single person when God called them, you don't think they had a life? You think you're the only one that has a life and has plans? And everybody had a life. Everybody had stuff that they were doing. Everybody had. And sometimes God comes in the most inopportune moment. In the moment where you said, God, this is the, not the right time, God. Come on. Can you just come when I have kids or when I'm married? You know, now that I'm single, I want to just enjoy myself. And I'm, Can you come, God, after the kids move out and go to college because now these kids are driving me insane? But sometimes God comes and he says, are you present? Can I count on you? this is the time it's right now Deborah stood up and this is the time and Deborah when he comes to Deborah or when Deborah called him she reiterated a word now I don't know if God spoke to him this word as well and she was confirming the word or if she's speaking with a question mark like asking him but like telling him for the first time I don't know how it worked but she was like did not God tell you that he's going to go up before you and that he's going to use you to be able to deliver us from this oppression so i could imagine this guy maybe god spoke to him and he was like yeah right god come on this is, this is I'm, i must be going crazy to think that you're going to use me and all these ten thousand people that don't even have a sword but then deborah comes and confirms it say god you must be up to something so you know what i'm going to put my plans to the side 
and I'm going to say, God, I'm going to listen to your plans. And in the end, what happened? God gave them a huge victory. It wasn't a personal victory. It wasn't something that blessed just him. It blessed an entire nation. I bet you anything that Barack never would have dreamt that he would have been able to be involved in such a great victory. Much less that God would have used him to be able to rally up 10,000 men, take him up to the mount and with Deborah there, ready to fight, probably shaking, but seeing the hand of God in the midst of that and seeing how God brought a huge storm and the chariots got stuck in the mud and in the middle of the river that started flowing, they almost, half of them probably drowned and then the other one, the army got them and just seeing the victory of God. Let me tell you something. God is just waiting for people to be available and present. And as we close today, I feel that God is calling people, very personal calling tonight, that God is calling you just to take a stand. And he's telling you, look, don't worry about what God's plan is for your life. Because sometimes we're like, oh my gosh, but what does God want me to do? I mean, where, where's, we, some, we can leave church saying, where's my Goliath? I mean, whose head do I have to chop off? Or, or where's the snowy pit, man? I'm going to go to, I don't know, I'm going to go to Canada and find a snowy pit and kill a lion. You know, and sometimes we're, we're like, my gosh, you know, why? And we get so frustrated and we get anxious about, and God is just saying, look, just say you're willing and the moment will come and you'll know it'll come. And when the moment comes that God calls you, you got to be saying, here I am, God. This is the moment of step. So that's why I say it's a very personal call. And I just want to call to the altar people that are willing to say, God, no matter what plans I have for my life, your plans will always be greater. And I just want to be here present to tell you whatever it is, whenever it is, you can count on me. And I will go. I will go.